Hey, you found us. It's the Ben and Matt Sportscast. I'm Ben Glickson with my tag team partner, Matt Story. And we are back from traveling to all corners of this great country of ours. That's right. That's <laughs> right. Yes. Uh, one of us was was down in the old southeast and the other was in the far northwest. But here we are back in our home bases and ready to get back to business of talking sports. So since we left you, ASU has officially accepted the bid to play in the Las Vegas Bowl, the Mitsubishi Motors Las Vegas Bowl against the number 21 Fresno State Bulldogs. ASU will be without first-team All-Pac-12 wide receiver Nikhil Harry, who has signed with an agent and will not participate. With the blessing and, you know, at least stated uh, pushing, of the coaching staff telling him he should go. Well, and, and I think, you know what, uh, what has been one of the focuses of what we've talked about, you know, with this staff was, you know, wanting to endear ourselves to, you know, being an NFL development area. Not that, not that that's the only business we're in. We're in the business of winning games, but, you know, getting guys ready for the NFL. Well, this guy's ready. And, and if you're going to be, if you're going to model, you know, not model, market yourself as, as you know, NFL friendly. Well, this is a way to, to prove it. And I, I, you know, we talked about it a few weeks ago. The possibility. I got absolutely no problem with it at all. I agree. I don't have a problem with it. I don't think it's shocking in any way, shape, or form. My question for you, though, where is the line where you would be upset? Because obviously, playoff. I think obviously Rose Bowl in a non-playoff year. Yeah, is that the line? The line it is. It is to me because if we go one further down, you're in the Alamo Bowl. Well, what does the Alamo Bowl really mean? I mean, in all honesty, you know what? What does that mean? Uh, If we won the Alamo Bowl, does that does that you know get us at all really excited? I mean, yeah, it'd be be great. but, you know, winning, obviously, yeah, the playoff, if you're in the playoff uh, and somebody backs out of that, I would have a bit of a problem, unless they're injured. You know, I did not have a problem with Nick Bosa. Um, he had an injury, and, and I get it. You know, I think he made the right decision. Um, but to just back out to protect yourself, that seems weak. Rose Bowl, because it means something to, you know, a Pac-12 school, especially one like us that hasn't been to very many, that has only won one. You know, I mean, that would mean something to win the Rose Bowl to have the chance to play in it. But uh, past that, yeah, that's that's mine. What's yours? I think that's where I land. Um, I guess the only other thing would be opponent-based. Yeah. If we're, you know, top, let's say we're number 15. The conference has had a particularly good year. And yeah. we're number 15 in the country, but... We didn't even go to the conference title game because USC was undefeated and, right. and they beat Washington State, who's going to the you know the Rose Bowl sure. as the number two. Sure. And so we're in the Alamo Bowl and we're playing a top 20 Oklahoma team. Yeah, I suppose. Uh, you know, I, I suppose in that scenario, I mean, every, every scenario has got to be evaluated, you know, on its own merits. I certainly but, think playing Fresno State in Las Vegas yeah, doesn't get that. Doesn't mean anything. No, it really doesn't. I mean, look, I hope we win. I'll watch the game with interest. Um, but, you know, I always use this example. I remember in 2013 when we got to the Pac-12 title game, we had, you know, a really good year. We got blown out in that game. Or, well, not blown out, but beat 
convincingly. Um, and then we went to the Holiday Bowl. We're a good bowl, you know, and, and we got blown out. But I said several months later to people who were reacting to it, you know, can you remember who they played? And the majority of the people that I asked couldn't remember. So these bowl games, they don't really mean anything down the road. They feel like they mean something because they happen. And it's like, oh, it's a bowl game. But by June, are we even going to remember this game? Probably not. Probably by February, we're not going to remember this game, to be honest. I, I think I view the standard the same way Justice Stewart viewed the standard of obscenity that we learned in Professor yeah, exactly. Russell's class. I, I know yep. it when I see it, and I can't define it. But I know, yeah. I mean, if it you know if it feels like oh okay, this is a really big game, but I don't even know in the scenario you laid out would I feel like that was a really big game? Because let's play that scenario out. We went ten and two. Well, we we won ten games. I mean, does winning or losing the Alamo Bowl really change the impression of the season? To me, I don't think it would. Now, I guess, yeah, you're right. you got to evaluate it based on that specific scenario. But I don't think so. Now, here's a, here's a point that you texted me the day that he announced he was going pro. Did we, I think you used the term, did we waste his talent or did we squander his talent? I think was probably the word you used. And I've had some time to think about it. You have too. What are your thoughts on that before I give you mine? So he's a first-team all-conference, should be in line for All-American on some level in some publications. I'd say so, yeah. Um, You know, yes, I think. uh, Mostly because we – I think it's a broader wasting – I think that when the years the offense was good with him, mm-hmm. the defense was terrible, and, <laughs> yeah. and the you know, and then when the defense was finally, you know, fairly serviceable this year, yeah. the offense disappeared. Wasn't as good until the end of the year when it started to get better. Um, I don't know. I, I it's weird because I think we look at that a lot of times with quarterbacks. You know, I think um, you like and I probably Packers. discussed this last year. Well, you know, to an extent, um, what I was thinking was in our own conference, Josh Rosen at UCLA. You know, they got this this gem of a recruit, five stars, you know, great player, going to be a first-round pick, and he was. And they got to two bowl games. You know, nothing, the, the best bowl game they played in was, I guess, the, you know, the former Emerald Bowl, which is now the Red Box Bowl. Um, you feel like, you know, boy, you should have done more with that. With a wide receiver, it's almost hard for me to say because yes, he was great, but his his position is dependent. Probably probably wide receiver is the most dependent position in football. You you have to have a quarterback who gets you the ball. You have to have an offensive line who can give that quarterback time to get you the ball. You know, it's it's hard to be solely dominant as a wide receiver. You need help, and we just didn't have enough. And maybe that's your point. It might be. But we didn't have enough players like him. I think I texted you that during the UCLA game at one point. I said, you know, he's a great player. We need to set about the business of recruiting more players like him. And, you know, hopefully we can do that. But we didn't have it during his time here. So I, I don't know that we could have done any better well, realistically. But here's, the, here's where I come on that. When he came in, he was the number one wide receiver recruit right. in the country. Right. We knew that as long as we didn't screw it up, we had one receiver on lockdown. That sure. we were fine, and we screwed it up. We didn't, you know, we didn't recruit a good enough O line. We no. 
no, hor- that's apparently been a horribly miscast our running back core. Um, yeah. which is weird to say because Richard had a good year. Balaj oh, got yeah. all the hype and he's in the NFL, but he was sure. probably, you know, and Benjamin had a great year this he, year. Uh, yeah. I mean, we, we had success running the ball really all three of those years with him. Um, I mean, uh, singularly this year, Benjamin had the best year, but he's also gotten more carries than Richard or Balaj ever got because they shared time. That offense was different too. I mean, this this is an offense that valued the run, emphasized the run. The, the Graham offenses really did not. They, they said all the right things that we were going to, but it came down to it. They well, were pass friendly. But and also um, though, to the Graham offenses, and maybe this is also a broader conversation about Manny Wilkins. Mm-hmm. Too much turnover in the coordinator ranks. Absolutely, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and that's. I mean, that's one thing you can look at. You know, for the offense in general is the lack of, of stability, and that's, you know, you and I have discussed over the course of the year, did did you think we'd see an offensive coordinator change? And I think after the Stanford game, we both agreed that we would, and things, you know, got better from that point on. We, we scored 30-plus, I believe, in every game after that, uh, or what, 29, I guess. We had 29 against Oregon. Um, and so I don't think we will because one of the things, you know, along with the NFL-friendly atmosphere and getting guys ready for the NFL, is we've really emphasized the we got to have continuity on the staff. And I, I think we'll see that, and that's good, because it, it is hard. I mean, even though, yeah, you know, uh, Lindsey ran similar concepts to Norvell and, and Napier, they're not the same. Different guys, different ideas, different philosophies, and, and changing every year is hard. And, and that's, you know, probably had some impact this year. You know, the offense wasn't as good as we thought to start. Well, you know, we were breaking in a new staff and players getting adjusted to a new staff. That's not easy to do necessarily. Although, and I'm not, I am not advocating for Likens to go. Certainly no. not as much as I thought I would be at this Me point. Me too. Yeah, but yeah. if you were going to make a change, if you had a question of all of the years where it happened, this would be the one where I'd be like, okay, do it. Because I new agree. quarterback, new top new receiver, new yeah. O-line coming in for at least two spots. A couple spots, yeah. You know? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, I, and I can see that. And I, like I said, when we were three and four and the offense was laboring and we, you know, we had, what, five of the first seven games we scored 21 or less. Mm-hmm. And it made a lot of sense because, you know, Likens was not a Herm Edwards guy. He was, he was kept on from the previous staff. He wasn't um, supposed to be the coordinator from that not. staff. He was not. It was supposed to be Napier who got a head coaching job. Um, and, you know, and, and it just made a lot of sense. That, and it seemed like at that time, too, we were caught, you and I discussed this, caught between ideals. It seemed like, you know, the early part of the offense Likens was running was we were going to pass it a lot. Michigan State came. We were heavy on the pass. And then Herm kind of, you know, took the reins, it seemed like, and said, nope, we're going to run the ball. We're going to favor the run. Washington was really the first time we saw, like, we are, we don't care. We're going to run the ball. We're going to stuff it down your throat. It doesn't matter. And that was successful. But then things seemed to, you know, they seemed to mesh from the USC game on better. I mean, we, we never got to the point of being a, you know, Oklahoma-level offense, but we also don't have their talent. I mean, they've got... They've got three offensive linemen who might be first-round picks. They've got a Heisman Trophy candidate quarterback. They've got a, you know, explosive receivers. We we don't. So I don't expect us to be that good, but we did get better, and I think you'll 
I think you'll see stability there unless he goes, you know, unless he decides to leave. You know, by getting rid of the coach, you'd really be thumbing your nose at everything you said, which is we got to have continuity on the staff. We really need stability, blah, blah, blah. By firing an offensive coordinator and replacing him after seven and five years, almost saying, well, never mind. We're, we're going we're going away from that stability ideal. Two quick thoughts before I lose them. The first, uh, Todd Graham, for whatever you think of his tenure and his time, the coaching tree, the guys he brought in, yeah. uh, you know, head coach at Nevada, head coach at Memphis, yeah. head coach at uh, Louisiana Lafayette. Right, um, and, and might have a future head coach in Chip Long, who's you know the yeah. offensive coordinator for a, a playoff Notre Dame team this year. Assistant coach uh, of the year, I believe. Yeah, he was one of the finalists. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think the guy at Alabama won the award, mm. but he was one of the finalists and deserved. He's done a great job there, um, you know. And and so yeah, no, he he did have some very good offensive minds. Um, not as many good defensive minds. You know, every one of those guys that you mentioned. Not by name, but you know, coaches uh, and and you know, obviously, long we mentioned were offensive coaches, uh, coordinators, or position coaches. The defense did not produce any of those, and you know, that was ultimately his undoing at ASU was a poor defense. Yeah, the other point that I feel like I'd be remiss to not bring up here is you need to keep continuity on the defensive side of the ball because for all of the turnover and churn offensively. It's, yeah. it's really Jalen Harvey and Rennell yeah. Wren, and that's it. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I said this to you, you know, midway through. Well, I think after we after we lost to Oregon, we kind of, you know, were talking more about what was up next because the Pac-12 South was out of play. You know, I like what I saw from this defense this year. They weren't dominant by any means, but there was there was certainly a lot of good progression. There were uh, young players that got a lot of experience that, that, you know, and I, I have high hopes for next year and going forward. And I think, you know, I think if you could map it out, maybe the ideal path, maybe Danny Gonzalez is your future head coach. You know, if you want stability and you, you know, neither of us thinks Herm is going to be here for a decade. And so if you don't want to be starting over again in two, three, four years, you know, if he's the guy who's maybe capable of being the head coach, you know, I don't, I'm not saying he should be the coach in waiting. That doesn't generally work, but you know, I think you want to keep him around because maybe he's a guy you want to bump up to the top spot when the time comes. Yeah, I think so. Uh, obviously we've talked at great length about the job Antonio Pierce is doing and, yes. you know, we are heading towards the early signing period. ASU currently has 20 recruits committed, although, right. Look, I don't pay for the, uh, you know, Sun Devil Source insider and the things like that. But here's my outsider observation. We have two quarterbacks as our top two commits, Joey Yellen and Ethan Long. Right. However, all of the stuff I'm hearing is we are really, 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 really in on Jaden Daniels, who's another quarterback. Yeah, yeah, flooding that position. I assume then that one of Long or Yellen is not signing. Probably doesn't come here. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, it's it's uh, it's difficult to sign two quarterbacks in the same class and keep them for any more than maybe a year at most together. It's next to impossible to do with three. So yeah, I, I think if if we do get the other kid. And, you know, I still believe we're a spot for a grad transfer. I don't think that affects the freshman. But, 
I definitely think it makes too much sense for us not to be out in that market. I mean, we, you know, with Manny leaving, we have one quarterback who has, you know, played at all. And his experience is essentially, you know, two meaningful games. Um, and behind him is a guy who was injured all year. And we know nothing about exactly. his status. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And a, and a former walk-on, and you know, in Walding who, you know, got a lot of praise in the preseason. But, you know, he's a former walk-on. Uh, for every one Baker Mayfield, there's a thousand former walk-ons who just aren't very good. That's why they're walk-ons. So, um yeah, I mean, I think we've got to get in that mix, at the very least, just for depth. If we, you know, you and I have discussed Jalen Hurts, and I still think Jalen Hurts makes a ton of sense for us. But if we can't get a guy of his caliber, you know, go go find somebody who will come in like Keller Chris did at Tennessee. Just give you somebody for depth, somebody who started some games, played, yeah. you know, maybe, maybe that guy doesn't start, but he gives you an option at least. Yeah, I, I mean, the the spate level tier uh, yeah, exactly. seems seems ripe for the picking. Somebody who like, hey, look, you're going to get plenty of reps. Don't worry, yeah. but right. there's going to be drives where you're just out, and right. you're going to have right. to accept that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think I think that makes a ton of sense. Now, yeah, as far as the, the freshman. You, you can't sign three in a class. I just don't think that's possible. And so um, if we do get the, the Daniels kid, which, you know, I know he, he visited on that UCLA weekend, and, you know, seems to be a possibility for us. So um, I would think that's probably spells the, uh, the end of one of the two. Um, it seems like from afar, and I don't get too heavily into the recruiting, but it seems like uh, the Yellen is a better prospect or considered a better prospect um, and has more buzz. And so maybe, maybe long as the guy who's the odd man out, I don't know who, you know, who knows, I guess. Yeah. I mean, for whatever it's worth, according to ESPN's breakdown, uh, Yellen is the pocket passer and is higher rated than long, right. who is a dual threat. And Daniels is considered a dual threat ranked right. one spot above uh, in the dual threat rankings. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, I, I would think um, that makes a lot of sense, you know, going after him, given the offense that it seems like we want to run. We want to, you know, run it a lot, but maybe not have a quarterback that's our leading rusher. I, you know, it wasn't that way this year, but certainly if we're going to be run heavy, having a quarterback who can run it, you know, only helps and, and makes your offense a little less predictable and harder to defend. So, we'll see. You know, I, I think, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, excited about the future. I, you know, the Fresno State game is going to be tough. That's a good, good team. Um, they went 11-2. and two. They, uh, they won a you know, pretty solid conference. Mountain West had some good teams. I, you, could, you could argue and probably not be looked at as crazy that the Mountain West was almost as good as the Pac-12 this year. Pac-12 was very down. Uh, Mountain West had, you know, three or four teams that were ranked in the top 25 over the course of the year. So they're a good team, and I, I, I don't. I mean, we'll we'll do our pick closer to the time. I don't expect us to win the game, but uh, it doesn't really matter that much ultimately. No. Uh, on the other side of the recruiting uh, coin, basketball, Jalen House and Alonzo Verge, the JUCO transfer, <clears throat> are both in the fold. It's unclear if ASU is going to have space for anyone else, though they are still in talks yeah. with some guys. Uh, also, the basketball team announced that uh, Euros is going to be redshirting this year, okay. uh, making okay. it official that we will not see the seven-footer in game Which, action. 
does not shock me. Uh, you know, I think that uh, I hadn't heard that, but yeah, I, I'm not surprised by that at all. I think, you know, that makes them a lot of sense. He was uh, clearly going to be a project. You knew that coming in. Um, and there's just not a lot of minutes to go around and that's good. You know, and that's, that's the sign of a deep team that we don't need him to play any minutes this year. Well, and the other thing in basketball, the red shirting is almost meaningless because if he comes out like a, a house on fire next year, right, right. Uh, he'll leave and it won't matter. Exactly, and, exactly, and if, you yeah. know, the only thing it does is if he is a rotation big, yeah, but ha- doesn't have eyes on going pro, uh, right, at least right. domestically in the U S Right, exactly. Um, you know, maybe he'll stay all the way through and be a 23-year-old senior. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, how many times in basketball at all do you see a 50-year senior? It's almost never. Uh, I mean, you know, there's still sometimes, but it's not very often. And so, yeah, the, the odds of him being a 50-year senior in, you know, the fall of 2022, probably not great. Bobby Hurley has the Sun Devils undefeated 7-0, and number 20 yeah. in the country, heading into a neutral site game against Final Four projection darling, mm-hmm. Nevada. Number six in the nation, yeah. Yeah, they've been very impressive so far. Now they, you know, they haven't played anybody uh, you know, in the top ten, I don't believe, um, but they have looked really good. You know, they've not had trouble. I mean, you know, Kansas has had some difficulties. Um, they're, you know, number two in the country. But they had to go to overtime to beat Stanford. I mean, I, I think you could argue that Nevada of the non-conference teams looks like the best opponent at this point. Uh, that could change. You know, obviously, we, Kansas always seems like a team who gets better as the year rolls along. But they are very good and very deep and, and very experienced. I believe they've got five seniors in their starting lineup. Um which is unheard of to have five seniors on a top ten team. That doesn't happen. Usually, you got five seniors. You're, you know, you're a middling conference team that's, you know, maybe trying to win the MEAC or something like that. But this is this is a darn good basketball team. So far this year, they've beaten BYU by sixteen. They beat up Loyola. Yeah, at Loyola, a Final Four team from last yeah. year with several guys back. Yeah, beat them up seventy nine sixty five. Then took the show back to the West Coast, beating the Trojans at USC yeah. by twelve. Yeah, um, yeah. It, you know, won a, won a tournament in Vegas without really breaking much of a sweat. It seemed like I watched a couple of those games. Yeah, they've not played a game this season closer than ten points at no, the final. No, I mean they have. They have looked really good. Yeah, they. They fell from five to six this week just because Michigan has been so good that uh, Michigan got bumped up ahead of them. But um, yeah, they're they're a really good team, and this uh, this is a big time test. I mean, we've played well and and answered the call so far. Um, had a good good stretch there in Vegas, but this is the best team we've played so far. I don't think it's really all that close. Caleb and Cody Martin doing things. Caleb's averaging almost twenty a game. Cody over six assists a game. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, for the Sun Devils, the reigning Pac-12 Player of the Week is Zylan Cheatham, who had the yeah. second triple double in school history, and he did it the traditional way, not blocks yep. or turnovers. Yeah, with assists, a game <laughs> after coming one assist short of getting one. So, yeah, two pretty impressive performances for him. Obviously, we uh, I, I hope we're sitting some guys out, you know, as a preventative measure as much as anything else. Um, you know, guys who are banged up, but hopefully it's not long term you know martin missed both of the games last week mitchell missed both of the games edwards continues to be out 
So hopefully we're going to get some of these guys back. I just read Haller on Twitter before we talked said Hurley expects Martin to play at least on Friday and maybe maybe others. Um, we'll need them. You know, I mean, we're we're not going to be able to get through this game with you know three quarters of our cast. We need to you know all hands on deck if we're going to try to win. You know, the Sun Devils have already played some neutral site games in Vegas. They knocked off yeah. Mississippi State there, obviously. Playing in California at Staples, it's game three of a triple header. It tips off right. at 10 o'clock. Right. Assuming all the games go on schedule, it will tip uh-huh. off at 10 o'clock in Arizona time. Arizona time. It will be yep. 9 o'clock yep. out in California, and I will almost certainly be asleep by the second Me half. Me too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Me too, yeah. I'd love to say I'm going to stay up and watch the whole game, but I won't directly lie to you. Look, I'm going to DVR the game. I will see the whole game at some point. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, more likely I'll wake up about 1 in the morning and check the score, uh, and hopefully I'll be happy when I check the score. Um, It's been an interesting season for the Devils because they're doing exactly what you were hoping. They've gone... They are. They've gone big. They've, They've relied pretty heavily on... Dort and Lawrence uh, to power the offense, and they're getting a lot of productivity from Tayshawn Cherry, who had a scary yeah. uh, banged knees play in the last game, but was able to come back yeah. in the second half and right the yeah. ship. He's also appeared to find his shooting stroke, which Haller had written yeah. about this week. Which is great. I mean, and and you know, one of the things we talked about going into this year was where would the outside shooting come, and he's maybe the guy to provide some of that, although. You know, Lawrence has been a much better shooter than he was last year. Uh, he's he's been a revelation when it comes to outside shooting. So, yeah, this is a this is a fun team to watch because it's playing the brand of basketball that I love to see. In all honesty, where it's just it's almost positionless. Um, you mm-hmm. know, you just you just have five guys out there who can guard anybody, who can all handle the ball, who can all you know get their own shot. Um, it's not quite there. I mean, certainly we have, you know, Martin's a, Martin's pretty much a strict point guard. White's a big man, you know. Yeah, but, but it, Lake can move. More, I mean, Lake's Lake can move coming and, out to the wing. And, and yeah, I think and, the and I, that, I think the Dort-Lawrence-Cherry yes. group, which I think yes. you can also put Mitchell when he's healthy in there. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I think Cheatham is in that as well. Sure. Can, oh, absolutely. Can really go, you know, one to five if you need him to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no, it's it's. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Those four: Dort, Lawrence, Cheatham, Cherry are are the guys I'm thinking of. Who, you know, they're they're all big enough to guard nearly anybody. They're all athletic enough to guard nearly anybody. Um, they can run the floor. You know, not great outside shooters. Some of them, especially, you know, Dort is is really not a great shooter. You can see, you know, his shot is when it goes in, it's it's not pretty looking. But he mm-hmm. finds, I mean, he finds ways to score and be very effective. Well, and he a keeps you shot. honest. That's the other he thing does. is that you know they have to follow him to three. Right, right, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. So I mean, it's uh, it's a fun team so far, it really is. And and uh, like I you know was talking about last time, just physically, such a different feel to this team than most of the ASU teams that we've watched. Pretty much all of them. Um, most of the time with our ASU, it's been you know decent guards. Um, sometimes better than decent, but, you know, undersized when it came to, you know, their big men or 
stiffs. Big men who were, who, yeah, basically stiffs. I mean, Bashinsky was, was not really, but, you know. No, he, I would say post-Ike, he's the best big yeah. man we've had, and I don't think it's particularly close. Well, are you not including Pendergraf in that? I'm not including Pendergraf okay. in that, because I view, I guess I should say, since I graduated, Guys who've okay. been, whose whole careers are played since I graduated. Since, okay, okay. Uh, I'll give you that. Yeah, I mean, you know, I Pendergraft to me was better, and I don't think you disagree with that. No, you know, we, no. He's you, been, and I are the, you and I are the president and vice president of the Jeff Pendergraft fan club, so, you know, I, I don't think that's a controversial stand for either one of us. Um, but but, yeah, but I would I say, mean, I mean, look, he – not since Bashinsky have we had a big man – who could alter shots the way Lake right. does? I mean, Lake right, is really—it's—it it goes beyond blocks. He's averaging over a block a game, but it's—it's yeah. it's beyond that. It's the altering of shots. The, yeah. the guys try and circus finishes at the rim because they don't want to go straight up into him. Right. Yeah. Right. And well, for and only and playing made, sixteen minutes a game, too. Exactly. Exactly. Well, and what you said is—I mean, Lake can Lake can get out. And play perimeter defense, and Bashinsky could. I mean, like Bashinsky was a really good shot blocker, but if you could get Bashinsky into pick and rolls and get him matched up on a guard, that was a nightmare for us. I mean, we had yeah. to avoid that, you know, because he was—he uh, wasn't a total stiff, but he was seven foot two. He was, you know, he wasn't all that athletic. Um, Lake's athletic. Like Lake can move around. You know, I don't. I don't feel like if we've got Lake matched up against a, you know, a six foot two point guard, that he's totally outmatched. Whereas Pashinsky, that would have been a disaster. Yeah. Well, and I know we're talking about small sample size theater here through seven sure. games, but sure. But Lawrence is shooting over forty one percent from three. Cherry's over forty two percent from three. Yeah. Uh, and Cherry had a dog of a game mixed into that. So he did. He did. You know, these guys. You know. The, the offense is flowing. They're they're scoring on pretty much everyone. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know their their lowest scoring game was seventy two against Mississippi State. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you know eighty against McNeese, eighty three against Texas Southern, eighty seven mm-hmm. against Utah State, eighty nine against Omaha. You know they can score. Yeah. They can get no, up and I down. Agree. I agree. Yeah. But yeah, but I mean, Hurley's uh, right. The defense is you know the defense is what's going to carry this team. I think especially this week. Yes. Yes, I agree. I mean, uh, you know, I, I, I'm with you 100. percent If they can, if they can defend, the scoring should be there. And and so, you know, if, if the defense continues to improve and the rebounding continues to be a strength, I mean, I I really like what this team could be. I told you before the year I didn't think it was outlandish to say we could win the Pac-12, and I still don't. Um, in well, fact, we're the only one realistic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I think I would say it's, I find it more realistic than I did. And I didn't find it unrealistic before the season started, but we've played well and around us, the conference hasn't looked that good. Now, I don't, you know, I don't want to overreact because we see this well, I mean, Oregon. I was, a great example. I was about to say the worst bit of scheduling for us is that we don't play Oregon until the right. sixth game of the conference season. Right. If we got them right. game and one, I'd like our chances a lot better. I agree. <laughs> well, and, and Altman teams at Oregon have been, I mean, they remind me a bit of Mike Riley, Oregon state teams where, you know, when, when Mike Riley was in his, his good days at Oregon state in September, you'd look at them and think, oh, they're not very good this year. And by November, like, whoa, all of a sudden they got, you know, eight wins and they've got better. And, and that's what Altman has done at Oregon. It seems like, 
almost every year in December, like, well, boy, Oregon's not very good. And then by February, they're pretty good. So I, I, I'm not ready to write them off. They were the preseason favorite. And, you know, I'm, even though they haven't played well at all, I'm not ready to bury them. And they're, you know, UCLA's good. Arizona's been better than people thought so far. Well, and there's a lot uh, of talent on both those rosters. There that you is, just there is. You know, so, so it's, I mean, you know, and there's, look, we did not play well in conference last year. We were under 500. And so we can't take anybody for granted. Uh, even though it's a different team, we got to prove this non-conference success is great. We're having another good non-conference season. we got to prove we can do it in the conference season. You know, I mean, last year it took us until, what, the third to last weekend to get a sweep. That can't happen this year. If you're going to win the conference, you got to sweep some weekends. No, um, I mean, I, and, and potentially as early as the first going to Cal and yes. Stanford. I mean, yes. you know, that you should sweep home ones. That's a road trip. Right. But, right. you know, they should sweep the Oregon schools at home. They should yeah. potentially sweep the Washington schools at home as well. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. You know, so I... I, you know, we have to, we have to prove we could do it as always, but I am encouraged by what I see so far. Now, I think, I don't expect us to beat Nevada. I think Nevada is a really, really, really good team. And I, you know, I, and I'm not sure I expect us to beat Kansas. It's at home. And so who knows, I, you know, I think we'll have a loss or two going into the conference play, but I said this before the year, I, I expect to have a better conference season. If we're not twelve and zero going in, that's fine. We don't have to be, um, but it's got to be better than eight ten. I would I would say you know somewhere in the area of twelve to fourteen conference wins is kind of my hope and goal. Um, let's let's go back to college football now. Yes, the playoff. Now that we're done, we are generally done with ASU talk. So if you were waiting yes. for that and you were looking for a signal. <laughs> This is the end of the this ASU talk. You can hit play yep. now. Uh, yep. You don't have to listen to it at two times speed. You can just <laughs> listen to it normal speed. Right. Um, Matt, you got to watch Alabama and Georgia. You texted me and you said Georgia's one of the four best teams in the country. They were left out of the playoff. What What was yep. your immediate reaction to that? Do you think you they know, should have replaced any of the teams that got in? No, I don't. You know, I, I, I think I got – so they played extremely well. And for three quarters, they were the better team, without question. And I was really surprised by how good they looked. They had started to look better as the year wore along. You know, the last month, they, they really had started to hit their stride. And, and it continued. Fromm was, Fromm was so on the money. Um, every throw, even the incompletions, were, were where they were supposed to be. Um, it, it, was, it was impressive to watch. And they were getting pressure. They were stopping the run. They were running the ball well. Um, but the bottom line is they didn't win the game and they lost to LSU. And, you know, I read something on the athletic, um, that really kind of crystallized it for me, you know, and, and kind of made a bunch of examples of like, well, you know, it's not always the, I mean, we could say, well, this team's better than the other, but results tell us, I mean, it happens every year in the NFL. I remember last year, um, the chargers, you know, finished the year playing really well. They didn't get in the playoffs because they lost games. And instead, the Bills and the Titans got in. Neither team was probably better than the Chargers. If you looked at it objectively, uh, Chargers were better. But that's life. They lost games. They didn't get in. Um, and so, no, I don't have a problem with it. Like, you know, if they had gotten in, I wouldn't have had a problem with that either. Over Oklahoma, that's the only team I would have put them over. Certainly not over an undefeated team. And the other three were undefeated. 
but they lost. I mean, fact of the matter is they had a two-touchdown lead in the second half, and they had the ball inside the 30 with a chance to go up 17 or 21. They missed a field goal, and then they, they lost the game. And, you know, I like Georgia a lot, but tough luck, you know, win more games. So Alabama plays Oklahoma in the 1-4 matchup in the Orange Bowl, Clemson-Notre Dame in the 2-3 from the Cotton Bowl, although not from the Cotton Bowl, I guess. It's from AT&T Stadium. Yes, yes. Let's start, you know, these are non-binding initial reactions. Um, I think Alabama takes Oklahoma. Uh, I I know Oklahoma's playing well, uh, you know, but – Georgia was playing well. Alabama just finds ways to win. Well. Yeah, yeah and, I, and, and, and Oklahoma's defense, I don't think, will cause them the same trouble that Georgia's did. I mean, first of all, Georgia's defense is better. Secondly, they know them very well. They played them the year before. Kirby Smart, you know, has familiarity with Alabama, even though it's a different offense than they ran when he was there. Um, I think they were, they were very prepared this year for what Tua could do, and Tua got hurt on the first drive, and that made a difference, too. Um, and they look good. No, I don't think Oklahoma's defense will do that to them. But I will say, Oklahoma's offense is going to have success against them because that defense of Alabama is not a vintage Alabama defense. I've watched them over the course of the year, and I watched them, obviously, for that entire game in person, and their their secondary is suspect. And Oklahoma's got a great passing game. So I, I'm not as confident as I thought I might be I think Oklahoma is going to put up a lot of points on them. They may give up more, but it's going to be a high-scoring shootout, I think. Do you think that that game is the better game than Clemson-Notre Dame? No, I don't. I think Clemson-Notre Dame will be a really, really good game. Me too. Where Where do you go on this? I know your loyalties lie with Notre Dame. Sure, although you know I like Clemson too, so yeah. I'm, not, I'm not anti-Clemson, but I don't think you can help but pick Clemson. Um, I mean, I think Notre Dame is good. I think, I believe the, there's a perception because of what happened in 2012 that Notre Dame is, is just a bunch of slow white kids that when they get up against a, you know, top notch competition, they're going to be outclassed. This is a different team than what they had in 2012. I, I believe that maybe I'll have to eat my words if they get blown out, but this is a more athletic team. It's a, it's more of a team that Brian Kelly has crafted to the way he wants it. That team in 2012 is a lot of smoke and mirrors. This is not. This is a good good team with a lot of talent, skill guys, defensive guys. Uh, so I, I think they're going to make it very interesting. I think Clemson's secondary, just like Alabama's, is suspect. Um, you know, Jake Bentley put up over 500 yards on him a couple weeks ago. Uh, so they can give up passing yards. Notre Dame's got a good passing game. But, you know, Clemson's defensive line, it, to me, is the difference. They're, they're so good. And they stop the run, and and Notre Dame's a team that needs to run the ball to open up that passing game, and I don't know that they'll be able to. I mean, Williams for Notre Dame, I think, ran for over 100 yeah. yards a game uh, yeah. for the eight games he's once played. He, once he got back in, yeah. Um, yeah. It's just hard to imagine he'll be able to have that kind of success against a Clemson team that, that, you know, Clemson might be suspect against the pass, but they are, but they are but stout not. against the run. Right, and if they get past Rush, that can that can mask some of that. And I mean, they got as good. I mean, they probably got three first round picks on the defensive line, and Austin Bryant is probably a second round pick. Uh, I mean, it's it's a good line, and then they got a couple of big time you know freshmen 
that are coming in off the bench, not even playing a lot of snaps, but will probably be, you know, all American candidates next year and the year after. So they're not lacking for talent when it comes to D lineman. Um, and Kendall Joseph is a, you know, four year starter at linebacker. Who's really good. I mean, they're, they're very, very good in the front seven secondaries shaky, but, uh, you know, and they and they run it so well. I mean, they've become such a good running team, and Lawrence gives them, you know, much better threat in the passing game than what they had last year. Uh, to me, it's hard to pick against Clemson. I picked Clemson to win the title at the start of the year, and I'm I'm sticking with it right now. I was gonna say, are we destined for Alabama Clemson again? Feels like it, doesn't it? I mean, mm-hmm. they've been the two best teams all year. Uh, they've, you know, Clemson has not won a game by less than three touchdowns since that Syracuse game on the day that you and I went to Northwestern, which was the end of September. Uh, smallest margin of victory after that was 21 against against South Carolina. Um, and Alabama, you know, was obviously won every regular season game by 21 or more until the SEC title game when they finally got challenged. So, I mean, they have, they have outclassed the competition all year long. Um, it certainly feels like it's destined for that, but uh, you know, both teams have some weaknesses, and, and giving up passing yards is it. And you know, e- each opponent is equipped to take advantage of that. You know, it's they're not playing teams that are, you know, ground and pound like Michigan, for example, where it's like, well, boy, they have to run the ball, and you're going to stuff the rod, and they're going to be in trouble. I mean, each each team could throw it. Ian Book, I think, averaged over 300 yards a game. Obviously, you know, Oklahoma's passing offense is as good as there is. So it'll be interesting. If you're the kind of person who believes that a late-season loss will focus a team, in college football, obviously, you can't have that. I would suggest to you that what happened in the SEC title game was as close as you can get to that for Alabama. Possibly. Possibly, yeah. Yeah, and you're right. I mean, Saban's track record of with a lot of time to prepare is almost as good as it gets. The only exception was the first year of the playoff when they played Ohio State. And I expected them to blow Ohio State out of the water. And, and that was that Ohio State team that found something at the end of the year with Cardell Jones and just kept it rolling. They, you know, they, they beat them easily and then they beat up Oregon. And they, you know, they ended up having like 10 guys who went on to be first round picks. We didn't know at the time how good that team was. Um, but other than that, his record with, you know, multiple weeks to prepare championship games and now these semifinal games is just about unstoppable i mean his his record in championship games bcs title games was unbeaten and he's only lost one semifinal game in the four times they've played him i am leaning toward notre dame on the upset okay um, okay i don't know if i'll stick to that when we make our official picks uh, okay. which we will do yeah, we got, soon we got some time we'll, we'll maybe do that week of or maybe when you're here for the uh Rock Chalk Jayhawk visit. Yeah, that sounds like a good time to do that. That'll be a week before the game, so it feels like the right time. But that, you know, I'm leaning. I'm leaning. Yeah. So I'll give you your chance to vent. UCF did not make the playoff. Are you still <laughs> as riled up as you thought you'd be? Um, I'm not as riled up, but I'm disappointed. Yeah. Um, I think the thing to me that is most telling and it was the moment where i went from being angry to just being like oh okay resigned is is they won and they didn't leap over anybody so so they're behind a two loss michigan they're you know 
they're behind Ohio State. They mm-hmm. they just mm-hmm. stayed at eighth. They didn't move at all. Um, now look, there wasn't a ton of chaos, but no, you know, there and, wasn't. and and no. I'll say this. I'll I'll say this because I think there was some politicking involved here. Yeah. If I was doing it, I would have put Ohio State and UCF as five and six. But you can't do that if you're in right. the actual committee because if you do that, you're saying that UCF should have been in. You you open the door to the rant yeah, I are. had two weeks ago. You are. By you leaving are. them yeah. down at eighth, you're saying, look, they, they weren't close. And we're right. so, we're sorry, well, but they weren't close. They were not. And, I, and I mean, it was a horrific play, but – uh, you know, and I don't think anybody would ever admit it, but those people on the committee were probably not all that upset at Mackenzie Melton getting injured because that took the air out of the balloon. Even though they won that game and even though they went on to win the conference title game, I think the feeling is if they had a chance to compete with the very best, they needed him. And now it's it's just a little bit more the feeling of like, well, nice story. And yeah, great that they won without him in the conference title game. But they're not the same team. And quite honestly, they're probably not. I mean, that guy's really good. Um, you know, the other kid played very well in that conference title game. But Milton has been a, such a huge part of, of their success offensively last year and this year that without him, I think it's pretty easy to just sort of push them off to the side and say, here's your Fiesta Bowl. Congrats. I'll say this to you. If they beat LSU, UCF should find a big-time donor. I don't know who it is, but they're Phil Knight. And their yeah. Phil Knight should say, to the SEC writ large, <laughs> we will buy out your blow-off game. Yeah. We will break our contract with whoever for whatever week of your blow-off game. Yeah. And we will pay you the blow-off game money to let us come play you. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and Because at that point, you know, that answers Herb Street's thing. That answer, you know, then oh, you're I saying, agree. then you're it's, saying, it's, come um, get it. We're, we're no, here. Come get it. I mean, it is, it is easier said than done. I, I went home for Thanksgiving and you and I had talked the week before and I, I go home for Thanksgiving and I'm talking to my dad and he's like, you know, well, I'm sick of hearing about them. They need to play somebody. And I just about, you know, lost it. Like, Oh my God, you gotta be kidding me. It, it's easier said than done. Like, cause even under that scenario, you gotta find somebody who's a willing partner. And maybe you'll find, you know, maybe, maybe you get a, you know, Kentucky or a Mississippi State. Well, that's not going to satisfy anybody. Those are middle of the road SEC teams. In all, in all honesty, they're, well, you know, they're fine. And I, but I, I hearken back to when Oregon went to Boise State. That, right, that game right. did nothing for Oregon and got Legarrette no, Blount suspended. It, not, you know, right. yes. like, yes. and, and the lesson of that for every team that was watching that has a, a thought that they're going to make it somewhere right. is don't, don't do don't that. Do don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's great. Is. It's all well and good for ASU to schedule Michigan state and Texas right. A&M and Oklahoma state, sure. uh, you sure. know, sure. But you know, there's a cachet that comes with that. And, and those, those are programs that are relatively on even footing. I mean, you know, A&M certainly has a lot more money than, than ASU, but, you know, a, a, a middle-tier SEC program against a middle-tier Pac-12 program, realistic over time, yeah. that's what they well, have been. And there's no, you know, but there's no reason for Alabama to play us, no, let alone not. UCF. 
No, there is you not. Know? There is no benefit to that at all. And it's the opposite of basketball. Because in basketball, there is some cachet to going and sure. playing at Gonzaga in Spokane sure. and saying, fine, we'll come here. We're exactly. not afraid of you. Exactly. Well, because in basketball, you can lose 8, 10, sometimes 12 plus games and still get in the tournament. We saw Kentucky a few years ago. <laughs> You know, with a really talented team, but they they sputtered through the regular season. They got an eight seed. They went to the national championship game. Um, you know, so you can do that in football. You can't. You get you get maybe one loss. Sometimes not even that. I mean, Ohio State had one really poor game. Now they had a couple other bad ones that they escaped. One really poor game, and they're out. Tough luck. Georgia had one really poor game. They lost to LSU. They're out. You know, there's only four spots. Not everybody can be happy. Um, and and so, yeah, there's just no benefit to an Alabama or a Georgia or even an Auburn or LSU or Florida, you know, other other elite level yeah. type programs, I mean, championship what, contenders, playing them in the regular season. No well, benefit to it at all. And, and just as much, if not more of a factor, if you're Florida, Florida State, Miami, why would I give you a showcase yeah. opportunity Absolutely, to recruit kids? You know, why, right. why in the world would I do that? You know, and it's the same for, you know, on the other side of the country, why USC shouldn't do it and why right. Texas and Texas A&M shouldn't do it. Right, right. You know, so I'm sure so they could uh, get, I'm sure they could get Vanderbilt or, right. you know, sure. Baylor maybe. Vandy or Arkansas or, you know, a, a team that's, yeah, but, but does that do anything for them? They beat Pitt this year who won the ACC Coastal and everyone said, eh, big deal. Now, granted, Pitt wasn't very, Pitt was 7-16. Nonetheless, they beat them. They had North Carolina on the schedule that got you know canceled because of weather. Um, last year they had Georgia Tech on the they schedule beat Cincinnati. canceled because of weather. Yeah, they, you know they beat good teams. They beat a ten win Cincinnati team. I think an eight or nine win Temple team. Um, what more can they, you do? And, they and beat this, an know, eight win Memphis team twice. Right, right. <laughs> Come back on both. I mean, and and the idea, you know, I mean, I'm. I'm not lampooning my dad here. I don't mean to. He's not listening anyway, so it's fine if I do. But, you know, he's like, well, they, they need to go join a better conference. Well, yeah, they could do that, but you can't do that now. That does nothing for them now. They've got a program right now that's pretty good. And, and you know, if you join, join the conference, that's that takes a couple of years. You know, you can't just do that next year and say, okay, we're going to be in the ACC, right? You know, we're here. So everybody mm-hmm. schedule us. You know, first of all, the conference has to agree. Secondly, that takes time, and by that time, the window might be closed. Yeah. Look, they, what happened here was they captured lightning in a bottle, and they it never was enough. And right. that's a, you know, right. and that's one of those things where that that's going to have to be okay because that's it the is. way it is. You know, it is. Yeah. I mean, and, I, and, know, and I, I don't like it. I'm not. It's more. I, I think the way you put it is right. I, I'm more just resigned to what happened. I'm I'm in, I'm still frustrated by yeah. it. I think it's wrong. Yeah. I I will continue to argue that they should get the shot. They yeah. they proved it this year. The the most compelling thing in my argument to me is that last year they went unbeaten and they beat mm-hmm. Auburn and they got told good job, pat on the back, right. but it's not good enough. Right. And they came back this year and they did it again. And, yeah, you know, I agree. And I they agree. started the was, year, and look, they started the year ranked in the top twenty-five, they and they, they never got enough love to move up. No, and and I just don't think with a fourteen playoff that a team from that group ever will. I I don't. I think they could come back next year, go undefeated again, 
and there will be a winner of the Big 12 and a winner of the ACC and SEC, and there'll be second-place teams and, and a Big 10 winner. And, and maybe a Pac-12 and, winner eventually. Maybe a Pac-12 winner, hopefully. But, yeah, I mean, um, uh, you know, there will be a Pac-12 winner, whether or not they'll be in playoff contention, who knows. Certainly we're not anywhere close this year. But until you expand to eight, which I do believe will happen, not soon, but probably at the end of this 12-year cycle, which we're in year five, right? Um, you know, so they'll probably go 12 years, then they'll expand to eight. And if you say, you know, the highest ranked group of five team goes, then they'll have their chance. And I think that's what you should do. I mean, I, I like the idea that I gave you a few weeks ago, 16 and every conference champ gets in, but I don't think that'll happen because then you're really marginalizing the bowl games. Um, so realistically, I don't think that'll happen. What I would and God would forbid is, we marginalize the cheese it Bowl. Well, can't have that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we gotta have those important games like the Gasparilla Bowl and things like that. Um, but uh, you know, that's the way it is. You gotta gotta work within the confines of reality. Um, and I think you go to eight and you you do you know all five conferences get a bid, group of five gets a bid, and then you got two at larges. So you have some serious competition those i mean this year you'd have you know probably georgia and notre dame anybody i mean anybody fighting if you've got an 18 playoff of alabama clemson ohio state oklahoma washington georgia notre dame ucf pretty good right I mean, yeah anybody upset by that i i would be no um so here is my Chance, you let me rant. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to okay. give you one back because, you know, I'm a sure. good friend. Okay. There was a series of articles that were posted in the Oregonian by their sports oh, yes. right. that you right. alerted me to Yeah. that basically walked through uh, – and it's, so I get it right. It's John Canzano wrote yes. them. Yes, yes. Uh, that basically walked through in a four-part series how badly mismanaged the Pac-12 conference appears to yeah. be. Yeah. Um, Matt, you cannot get Pac-12 Network. Effective, I, I believe, yesterday, I don't think right. I can get Pac-12 Network now. I think you're correct on that. Yep, yep. Um, do you think that things are going well? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't, and I don't. I don't know that anybody, aside from Larry Scott and his his echo chamber of supporters, uh, believe that they are. Um, I mean, how how can you argue that they are? Um, I suppose if you want to say, you know, well, we you know, and this article, you know, tried to make the point. Oh, we won all these national titles in water polo and tennis and golf and blah blah blah. Wrestling, sure, that's awesome. Yeah. But um, the bread and butter of college sports is football and men's basketball. And that's been that way for decades, and it shows no sign of changing. And right now, the conference isn't very good at either one of those. I mean, this is the third time in five years that they've not had a playoff team. Um, Really the second year in a row that they were not really even a factor. I know USC kind of was sort of maybe on the radar last year, but realistically was not. You know, it was more one of those like, well, if Ohio State is, why isn't USC? Well, because USC wasn't viewed to be as good as Ohio State. And neither team got in. Ohio State didn't get in anyway. This year wasn't anywhere close. 
and didn't have a team in the top 10 going into championship weekend. I think Washington ended up being ninth. Um, but, you know, nobody even on the radar. And basketball, as you just said, has one team ranked in the top 25 after a disastrous year last year. You know, three tournament teams. No one won lost a game. Their first game. Right. Um, you and know, and two, of two, were, the, two of them didn't the get to play four. on Thursday. <laughs> right, exactly. You know, so, I mean, it was, uh, it was about as bad a year as it could have been. And, then, you know, last year, obviously, the people pointed to the 1-8 and eight in the Bulls. And, you know, I, I mean, we just talked about the Bulls. I think Bulls are overrated as far as the meaning of wins and losses. Um, <clears throat> but, but which one you go to does matter. Right. It, it matters. And, and you know, yeah, 1-8. and eight, But the ones that matter were, you know, Washington got beat fairly convincingly by Penn State in the Fiesta Bowl. USC got just their doors blown off by Ohio State in the Cotton Bowl. And so in the big games with your supposed best teams, they didn't show. And then obviously we just talked about the basketball tournament. And this year is kind of threatening to be the same. I mean, only one team in the New Year Six. Um, and again, no one close to, to the playoff. Because <laughs> they have to be, exactly, yeah. No one close to the playoff. I mean, at least, you know, ACC only has one, but Clemson is, you know, number two in the country your, four years your, in a row in the playoffs. Your conference title game is about as far away from a sellout uh, as you can have. God, it was pathetic. It was just pathetic. And you how, put it on you it put it on a Friday so that you get right. the night basically to yourself. Right. Uh and, and it didn't matter. And no Still one had, you have a terrible game and no one shows up. Yeah, a terrible game. I mean, like I'm all for good defensive football and certainly those two teams both play really good defense. We played them both this year and you know, they're they're good defenses, but Boy, if you wanted, if you were trying to make the argument, which would be hard to make anyway, that you know, boy, the Pac-12 was underrated this year. That was not a good advertisement for it. That was bad football. I watched a lot of it because I was in Atlanta, and I was with Randy Policar, who's a big Washington fan, and so he was watching it. It is just tough to watch. Like I was interested, but it wasn't a thing of beauty at all. I mean, it was um, two field goals and a defensive touchdown. Like yeah, that, you know. yeah. I mean, Washington ran the ball fairly well, but they couldn't finish drives. Utah's offense just—I mean, now granted they're playing their backup quarterback, backup running back. You know, it's impressive they even got there, but it was—it was painful to watch their offense. Well, but then for most of that game. But, if, but with what you just said, then Washington, with their one time, you know, right. mentioned in the same breath as Josh Rosen, quarterback, right, and they're right. you know supposedly really really solid running back in Gaskin and he is and you they know, get, he you know, is they yeah, get nothing. but they couldn't couldn't do it well and, and Browning has regressed and I I wonder I don't know this to be true but remember after the 2016 season Browning had shoulder surgery and I wonder if he's never really come back from that completely because his arm strength is just not very good it was never good I mean he never had a rocket but there were a couple throws in that game, just quick, you know, short outs that he underthrew. And I'm thinking, ah, did this guy never fully recover from that? I mean, we've seen that, you know, guys have shoulder surgery and they never get their arm strength completely back. And I wonder if he's an example of that. Yeah. Because he just isn't the same player. He's still fine. I mean, you know, he's won a lot. And Washington fans have, have been on his case a ton this year, I know, you know, and, and they should appreciate what they've got. They got a guy who started for four years and you know, uh, played went three to a, major went, bowl games. Went to a playoff. Went to a playoff, two conference titles, three, you know, New Year's bowl games in a row. That's pretty good. And and granted, he hasn't done it by himself. He's got a good team around him. No, but, but I'd you know, take it. 
I would too. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's one of those situations where they'll probably realize what they had when he's not there anymore. And it's going to be, boy, you're longing for the stability that Jake Browning brought. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, but yeah, he's, he's regressed from what he was in 2016. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, it just was an ugly game. And, and so, yeah, it was, uh, it was kind of a fitting cap off to an ugly season of Pac-12 football. Um, and I, yeah, it's, it's not in a good place at all. That article or series of articles was, uh, eye opening for some of the things it pointed out. Um, some of the things I think, you know, you and I already knew obviously about the Pac-12 network and all that. That's been a story for years, but the, uh, you know, stuff about Woody Dixon and, and the stuff about, you know, the amount of money that goes to the teams and how much you know, they're spending it, on their headquarters and how much right, they're spending on right. their, you know, executive staff. And, yeah, and the argument yeah. of, you know, well, we are an entirely self-contained right. you know, television network company. and we have all that. It's yeah. like, yeah, that, but you're not built to do like you, you're, you're mismanaging it and it's costing no, too I much. Know. Like, like here's the thing. Yeah. I if you tell me we're totally self-contained and self-owned, that's great. I'd rather be Texas, where all right. of the infrastructure of the Longhorn Network is on someone else, and I just get a big fat check every right. year. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, look at look at the SEC. I mean, is the SEC struggling because you know ESPN owns their broadcast network? No, uh, it's not. I mean, is the Big Ten struggling because Fox owns theirs? No. The ACC network is going to launch next year. ESPN's running that. So the model was there, and it's been used by every other conference, basically. And for some reason, they decided to reinvent the wheel with this, and it's not been a success at all. The The idea of, you know, we're going to put on all the minor sport, like not many people care about that. It's just the hard reality of it. Uh, people do not plan their days, their weekends, their nights around – watching um asu play you know cal and men's tennis there might be a handful of people who do if they've got an interest in tennis or they got a family member but that's it doesn't pay the freight and football does and basketball does and right now neither of those sports is at all strong and and then this network that you're trying to use to build the conference is mostly invisible <laughs> you know the biggest tv provider in the country doesn't have it and doesn't care that they don't have it. And that's the problem you've got, especially. No one's clamoring for it. No one's batting, you know, battering down the doors at DirecTV saying, you've got to have Pac-12 Network. And it's like, well, ah, okay. Yeah, well, and, <laughs> like, I'm the outlier. I care. I care a lot. Sure, and you I know? do too. I, I mean, I don't I like care big time, you. to quote Wayne Campbell. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> and And, you know, I do too. And yet, I've made the decision since 2014 now, I believe, is when I got it, that because DirecTV gives me the chance to get NFL Sunday ticket, which nothing else does, that I'm going to value that over the Pac-12 network. Because in all reality, how much do I miss on the Pac-12 network? The biggest games for ASU, which is really what I care about, are on other networks. And, and so, uh, you know, I missed... I missed the Oregon game. I missed uh, Colorado game this year. Aside from that, you know, and I can listen to them on radio if I have to. Basketball, there's there's a few more. But I'm not going to miss that much. What I'm missing is, you know, the chance to see ASU water polo. Well, I don't really care. 
I mean, well, that's the thing is, I'm no not offense. watching their version care. of Sports Center. I'm not, right. you know, I'm not watching the games that don't really involve ASU. Right. But the fact that I now can't is a no, problem. I agree. I, you know, it, I it agree. shouldn't be. It shouldn't be that I can sign with a a television provider. And not like it's one thing I paid a lot to get to it, like to get right. to the sports tier. I mean, relatively right. speaking, sure, not, it's you. not thousands of dollars, but you know, <laughs> um, I understand. but the fact that there's no amount of money I can pay to you no. to get no. access to the Pac-12 network. Now, there's no amount of money you can pay direct TV to no. get Pac-12 network. That's a problem. That's it a is. really it big is. problem. Yeah, and and the article made the point, and I mean, it's something we've talked about, but if DirecTV didn't have SEC Network, there would be huge clamoring among SEC fans. We've got to have this. How could you not give us this? And there's not with the Pac-12. There's just, there's not the diehard. I mean, I I went to a game, I went to a conference title game, and it was packed to the brim. It was loud. It, it was a tremendous atmosphere. There was an event beforehand and, that you said was, yes, you know. Yes, you know, I mean, it's 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 a way of life. And, and in the Pac-12, it just isn't. You're comparing apples and oranges in some ways. It's, it's not a way of life. Now, you can't force it to be the SEC. You just can't. But there are things that can be done to get it closer that are not being done. Well, and, or you could allow. I mean, part of that. You could allow for the possibility. Right now, we've constructed it in a way that doesn't even allow for the possibility. It does not. No, no. I mean that. You know, the Pac-12 title game needs to go back to home fields. I believe because we were there for that game here, 2013. It was a great atmosphere. Yeah. Um, and, and, and Oregon, Stanford I came, hosted the first two. Yeah. Well, and Stanford the, traveled. Like it's right, not. You know. Right. I, you know, and and there's just not that any. First of all, you're again compare apples and oranges. We were, we just went to an Auburn game, which we could get to from Atlanta not too long. Alabama's not far from Atlanta. Georgia's not far from Atlanta. Uh, Kentucky is not far. Tennessee, Atlanta's a hub of the Southeast. So a lot of the schools, probably outside of A and M and Missouri, the most recent additions, well, and not it's that a, far. And That's it's an easy airport. It is. It is. It's not a bad. I mean, and and you can drive it if you want. You can drive it in three or four hours probably from half the SEC schools. And so, if, you know, but San Francisco's not that. I mean, San Francisco's a long ways from Tucson, Phoenix, uh, Boulder, Salt, Salt Lake, Lake City, City, Seattle. If you, you want know, a Pullman. neutral site, and it's a point that the article made, if you want a neutral site, put it in Vegas. Put Vegas, in Vegas is a direct flight from every city. I believe they will because they've already done that with the basketball tournament. When that when that stadium is done, I think they will go to Vegas, um, and that will be better. But I would go back to home fields because I just I just don't know that there's now. Granted, Vegas is a more touristy attraction than San Francisco, and it's well, and, and you know that they'll to. put the stadium in a place that's accessible. Also. Right, right, yeah. I mean, San Francisco's hard place to fly into, and it's a long ways from San Francisco. I found that out, you know, three years ago when I went to the Super Bowl there. Well, and there's Man, no it's a, it's cheap a long way. place to stay. Like, if, if you put it in Atlanta or Vegas, you can find, like, oh, here's, right. like, okay, I don't want to stay right by it or on the Strip. Right. I'll go stay at some small hotel. You right, know? exactly. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, it's just different, you know. I mean, so, 
I, I get why they went there, and that's a nice stadium. And and certainly the L.A. and Vegas stadiums are, you know, they're not open yet, um, so you can't move it there yet. But they they need to do something about that. Vegas will help, but I'm not sure it'll help enough. Um, and I would go back to home fields. And I didn't like that at the time, but you put that game Friday night in Seattle, would have been a great atmosphere. It would have been sold out. But put it in San Francisco, and it's like, eh, nobody really cares. Because probably a fair amount of Washington and Utah fans thought, I'm going to save my money because if, if my team wins, I go to Pasadena, see the Rose Bowl. You're going to choose yeah. that over going to Santa Clara. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is, uh, you know, the juxtaposition of that atmosphere with, like, it, it was like when ASU won that Las Vegas basketball tournament. Yeah, you know, no, no one saw it. It was, you know, there were some people. It was fine, right, but like right. that is a preseason holiday tournament versus your conference title right. game, right? And it if you can't, be that way. you know, and if you can't get people in the seats, it's you because the other, yeah. like you said, the other, the exact same product being sold by a different company, yeah, is was packed. You know, I mean, I, I watched some of Oklahoma and Texas. And they packed that place. Now, granted, Oklahoma and Texas are big attractions. and But again, they're both close to Dallas. Most of the schools in the Big 12, aside from, I guess, West Virginia and Iowa State, are close to Dallas. TCU is right there. Texas Tech, Texas, Baylor, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Kansas, Kansas State. There's eight of your, eight of your ten in the Big 12 uh, are not far from Dallas. You can get there if your school makes it without too much difficulty. You know, that's just not the way it is in the Pac-12. So just accept that and go to home fields because you're you're doing something that's just not the same. I mean, Atlanta is a hub of the southeast. Everything kind of buzzes through Atlanta, it seems like. The West Coast doesn't really have that. You got L.A., you got San Francisco, you got Seattle, you got Phoenix, you got Vegas. It's more spread out. You know, there's not really one kind of central location that people root out of. Yeah. Well, and quite literally, most of the Southeast does have a freeway that's a straight shot to Atlanta. To Atlanta, that, yeah. San Francisco yeah. is not that. LA, no. LA might be that. I don't know. No, I know. You I know? mean, even even for I mean, last year it was USC and Stanford, and it wasn't anywhere close to a sellout. Stanford is the closest school to that stadium easily. Um, I mean, it's it's a you know it's a fifteen minute train ride to, from Stanford to that stadium. And USC is, you know, the closest South school, Pac-12 South school, USC, UCLA, obviously. And it wasn't anywhere close to a sellout. So if you can't fill it for that, you probably never will. Yeah, I mean, what you need is something like a team that has never been. Right. You know, and, and then that's year, a one-off. This year with Utah, yeah. it still didn't matter. I mean, that's, that's the thing. There's only a few teams who have never been. Everybody in the South has been. Washington State, uh, Oregon State, and Cal, I think, are the three from the north who has not gone. Yeah. I don't know. I don't have and a even Washington State had made it. I don't think it. I mean, it might have been a little more because that they were kind of riding a wave. But I, it, they would have held out for a playoff part. opportunity. Yeah, exactly. So it's just it's hard. I mean, there's a lot of difficult questions, and there's not a lot of easy answers to those difficult questions. But um, – the thing that concerns me about that article and series of articles was it just didn't feel like the people who really have a chance to affect change feel any change is needed. Um, 
they kind of had the feel of, of Larry Scott and his supporting group, the CEO group, as they are referred to, and his minions at the top of the Pac-12 feel like everything's good. I mean, you know, it just, you know, what's that thing you see on Twitter all the time of like, you know, the, the whole thing is burning around and they got the dog saying everything's fine. That kind of feels like the Pac-12. Like, I mean, you know, it's it's like, yeah, everything's fine. Well, no, it's not. But if people at the top don't feel like change is needed, you ain't going to see any change. Yeah. Well, we'll rant about some more stuff. Um, probably after the Nevada game, you'll hear us again. It's good yes. to be back. And yes, uh, if you made it this far, thank you. Until next time, yeah. he's Matt. I'm Ben. It's the Ben and Matt Sportscast.